the SBI show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ida Scalarsip, and the World Cup has begun for the U.S. men's national team. And it began with a draw. It felt a little bit like a loss, mainly because it could have very easily been a win. But we're going to talk about U.S. Wales and why you shouldn't be so disappointed. Don't be too down. Because we saw some good things. We'll talk about that. We'll get into that game. We'll hear from players from that game. You'll hear from Christian Pulisic, Tim Weah, Tyler Adams, Walker Zimmerman. And of course, you'll hear from Greg Berhalter. We'll talk World Cup as well. The rest of the World Cup. Upsets galore. We'll even get a little MLS in there. Some MLS news to get to. But of course... U.S. Wales. The opening match finally happened. Uh, apologies for this being a day late. Uh, I, I needed. I basically needed a day. I needed a day to recharge and regroup. Uh, it's been a crazy couple of weeks for me, and I think it all caught up to me. So I needed. I needed. To, I don't want to call it a mental health day, but I needed a day to recharge the batteries. And if you, you know, if you read SBI, you, you've seen uh, the continued coverage throughout the tournament. That that has not stopped, but. Uh, I had to take a day from the from the SBI show, but it's back, and uh, we have plenty to get to. U.S. won, Wales won. It started off great first half, amazing first half for the U.S., and then a pretty disappointing second half. And I know there's a lot of unhappy U.S. fans right now, looking for looking for who to blame. And uh, it's it's interesting, and this there's nothing new under the sun. It it's always the same. And it's not just a U.S. men's national team thing. Players get praised for wins. Coaches get blamed for losses and drop points. And in this instance, Greg Berhalter is definitely catching flack for for the U.S. team not getting all three points. But I think at the end of the day, you have a young team that both showed its potential, but also showed some of its limitations. And we saw the golden generation for the first time on that stage and I got to say it was it, it was an impressive first half if you take it as a complete performance it was a pretty solid performance could it have been better absolutely would it have been great if they had you know created a few more chances found that second goal to put the game on ice yes of course but it's never easy at the world cup it's never easy even for the best of teams just ask argentina um but if you're if you're the U.S. if you're the U.S. players, you know you can you can take some positives away from this game. Absolutely, that first half, I mean, they dominated Wales. They controlled possession. They did what they wanted to do, um, and I do think it's telling that the 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 somber mode the somber mood after the match because to be clear, as much as U.S. fans are, are obviously not happy with the draw. Uh, the players are, aren't happy either. The play, the U.S. players weren't weren't happy either, and it was definitely a uh, there was a there was that there was that un- undertone. It felt a little like a defeat almost in in, in the post game interviews, and and when you hear from from the players, they were they were not happy with the point either. It's disappointing uh, for sure. You know, after such a good start, like you said, got the goal we needed, and uh, I guess we just dropped off a bit in the second half, and uh, and you know let them get the goal. I think we dialed down a bit in the second half. Um, fatigue set in, 
and I definitely think it was it was much harder. But you know, that's football. There's a lot of ups and downs, and you know, as a team, we learn from our mistakes, and now we have to you know bounce back and you know kind of figure out how we have to what we have to do to dominate both halves. I and mean, that just goes to show the mentality of our team that we were going out there and we're not happy with, with one point. So um, we're eager to bounce back and have the opportunity to bounce back against a good team. The takeaway I got from the post game is, is, is as much as the team was unhappy, I think they also are hungry for more. And I think they saw the possibilities. I think as a group, they saw what they can do. They saw that, you know what? We can play well on this stage. We can do our thing on this stage. And... You know, when it came down to it, that match, it, you could say what you want. You could call, blame the tactics. You could blame the changes. You could do what you want. But at the end of the day, this this team in the second half, they really just got worn down. And I think it caught up to the group, the number of players that, that weren't 100% fit. When you talk Weston McKinney, Serginho Dest, uh, even Eunice Musa. Uh, Tim Weah, I mean, you saw players cramping up left and right, U.S. players, and obviously Wales, a, a more experienced team, a physical team, and they really beat up this U.S. squad, and, and they wore them down. They wore them down, and, and I disagree. Uh, I heard uh, Mr. Landon Donovan talk about, you know, he, he, he felt he saw fear in that U.S. team. I didn't see fear. I saw fatigue. I saw a team that, that you know, they lost their legs a bit, as a group, and you know, when you lose your legs and you and you and you're and you're kind of running out of gas, and you're going up against a hungry team, chasing an equalizer, being spurred on by an outstanding group of fans, the Welsh fans. Props to them. I mean, you want to talk about anthems, memorable anthems. The the Welsh rendition of their national anthem was one of the best so far here in Qatar. But uh, you know, it it really. It was kind of that perfect recipe for the second half that we saw. And, you know, Greg Berhalter made his changes. He tried to he tried to mix it up. He tried to put fresh legs in. Obviously, you bring Brendan Aronson in. You bring Haji Wright, Kellen Acosta, DeAndre Yedlin. You bring those guys in trying to, uh, you know, stem the tide and trying to try to hold off Wales. And it looked like he was going to work. It looked like it could happen. And then, obviously, Walker Zimmerman with the foul on Gareth Bale. And it's an, it was an, an unfortunate moment just because Zimmerman was having a good game. He was actually having a good game. And Gareth Bale did what Gareth Bale does. He finds a way to make things happen. We saw it in MLS Cup two weeks ago. I was there in L.A. And, uh, you know, he, he, he always finds a way. And he did it again. And uh, I will say this. I give credit to Walker Zimmerman because... And and I'm not at all surprised. He didn't hide. He didn't run. He didn't he didn't like you know try to sneak by the post game interviews. He stood tall, front and center, and and answered the questions, and really and broke it all down. He was not shy about it. And that's the that's the personality he is, man. He's a strong. He's got the strong personality. He's confident. He exudes confidence, and he's not going to get shaken by this this mistake. And when you hear him break it down, you understand that, you know what, he's going to shake this off. Yeah, penalty, uh, ball gets down to the, to the end line. I see it get cut back. At that point, I'm dropping down. And uh, on the way to step out to clear the ball, don't see, see Bale come across. And I think it was one of those where he probably just puts his leg, not for the ball, but to try and get in the way of me hitting the ball. So I kind of went through him, and I think I still got the ball. But 
Uh, clever move. Wish I would have seen him out of the corner of my eye on trying to clear the ball, but uh, it was instinctive. It was quick, and uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit uh, frustrated with that. But uh, sometimes those plays happen. Sometimes you just gotta shrug it off, roll with it. It happened. Uh, move forward. Um, not not much time to dwell on it. You know, with with how quickly this tournament happens, and that's. The, the experience and you know it's not the first pk i've given up it's not the last one i'll ever give up um, you can learn from it now obviously it was a disappointing second half and well and wales did get their equalizer on the on the gareth bale penalty but let's talk a little about that first half because it was it was beautiful and obviously the the one thing that could have made it better was goals right more goals the one goal was a beauty tim Weah. perfect run perfect finish Perfect pass from Christian Pulisic. Nice build-up. Anthony Robinson, Eunice Musa, Josh Sargent makes its way. Springs Pulisic, and you had a well-worth goal. Deserved goal for a team that just controlled the play. I mean, you know, we all went into this World Cup wondering how this team would respond, given the fact that it was going to be very likely it would be a starting lineup full of players that never played in the World Cup before. And what did we see? We saw a team with poise. We saw a team that was not overwhelmed by the moment. And that's why like, I kind of I scoff at the, that notion that it, you know, there was fear in, their, in that team in the second half. No, if there was going to be fear, it was going to be in the first half, first 15 minutes. But no, the U.S. The US took it to two whales in that first half, controlled the play. Did they generate enough quality chances with that possession, with that control? No. That could have been better, absolutely. But there was so much good. There were so many positives from that overall performance. I mean, and when you just run down the line of players who, who, who I thought impressed, obviously Tyler Adams, man of the match. Gareth Bell was named the official man of the match. But Tyler Adams was the best player on the field. I think that's, uh, you know, I don't know if that's consensus, but I mean, I, for me, he was the best player on the field. How about Tim Ream, by the way? Think about that. A couple of years ago, I can guarantee you most U.S. fans were like, wanted no part of Tim Ream on the team anymore. But he's got a new lease on life. He's, he's just, you know, playing the best soccer of his career. And, that, and he carried that form over. And for, for all the flack that, that Berhalter, Greg Berhalter is getting off of this result, I will give him credit for the lineup that he put out there because I thought he put out a very solid lineup. And it's pretty much the lineup that I thought he was going to go with, with Josh Sargent up top, Tim Ream at center back, two players in, in the middle of their seasons. If there was a surprise for me, it was, that walk, it, it was that Weston McKinney was ready to start. I thought we would see Brendan Aronson, but clearly McKinney was ready to go, even though for me, I, don't, I didn't think he played well. As many bright spots as there were, and it wasn't just Adams and Ream. I thought Anthony Robinson played well. I thought Josh Sargent played well as the striker. But when, when you look at, at the decisions and the lineup and the way the team played with that starting lineup in the first half, I mean, it's funny because for me, like, Burrell should be getting credit for that, setting up that team with the right lineup, with the right approach, with the right strategy. Now you got to give Wales credit. They responded in the second half. They made adjustments at halftime. Wales coach Rob Moore he he put in Kiefer he, he put in Kiefer Moore uh, to be their target striker and, and and they just they went very direct, very physical. 
and the U.S. got worn down. And uh, not and not to blame not to blame the result on the referees, but let's be real: the referee was atrocious. The officiating was atrocious. I mean, Wales got away with a lot, a lot. There should have been a lot more cards, and maybe you know, if if the cards that should have been given were given, you, you could be talking about a different game. But that's 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 the World Cup. Sometimes you get that. Sometimes you get bad referees. But that first half for me, I mean, that that was some of the be- that was one of the better. World Cup first half that I can remember for a U.S. team. And look, obviously, you and I, when you talk about Portugal, U.S.-Portugal in 2002, that's, I mean, 3-0 over Portugal. That was, that's different class. That's different level. But when you talk about this team and as young as they are and, and, and the uncertainty of how this young team would respond under the bright lights, it was great. It was great to see. And, there were lessons to be learned in that second half, no question. I thought McKinney didn't didn't play particularly well. Uh, Serginio Dest, obviously, another somewhat of a surprise that that he was able to to be fit to go into the lineup, and he I didn't think he had necessarily a very a good game. I didn't think he played well. So you could you could chalk those up and say, oh, those were mistakes in the lineup. But I mean, if those guys are phys- are if they're fit to play. If you, can th- if you think they can give you 60, 65 as a starter, then you put them in, and that's what they and that's what, that's what Berhalter did, but they still have to perform, and I, th- I thought they left something to be desired. But that second half, it came down to that, that, Zimmerman, that Zimmerman play, that Zimmerman play that Gareth Bale makes happen. And you've got to give Wales, Wales credit. Now the question is, how does this U.S. team respond? And as I said earlier, I don't, I don't see this U.S. team dwelling on this one. I don't see them, you know, I don't see there being a hangover because of the points that they lost. And uh, you could tell after the match, even just, the, you know, talking to some of these guys about the England game and the excitement that they had for that game. I know U.S. fans are nervous about that game and it could get ugly. England looks unstoppable. Yes, I get that. But this U.S. team is not running from that game. There's no running and hiding. They want that game. And uh, Berhalter will be the first to tell you, he, he, he sees his team being ready to go on Friday. You're getting to play England. You know, and that's the recovery right there. Um, you know, get to play one of the, the teams that we, we think is the favorite of the tournament. Um, and, you know, I think there's not going to be many tired players come Friday. And as much as it might be a mismatch in terms of personnel, obviously, when you hear the U.S. players talk about that England game, uh, the sense you get is that they're definitely looking forward to it. I think we match up well against them. Uh, again, football is a, is a game of inches. It comes down to, to minimal mistakes or minimal details. So um, we're obviously going to try and execute our game plan. We, we trust in the coach's ability to, to set us up well and, and how we're going to match up against them. Uh, but they, they're very flexible as well, as you saw today. They played four in the back. They can play five in the back. They have variables as well. So um, at the end of the day, it comes down to, to certain moments in the game. I think no matter who England plays, they have enough depth on their team that they're going to be able to rotate no matter what as well. Um, I think the same for us, though. We have players that can come in and, and play a role in the next game as well. And I'm sure that we're going to have rotations as well. So um, I don't think anybody's going to be able to play every single minute of every single game in a, in a tournament format. Uh, so we're going to have to rely on our depth. Now, as far as potential starting lineup options for that game, we'll get into that next episode uh, because then 
you know, I, I want to leave a little something for the next episode. We'll get into that, but we will obviously see, see changes. And, um, you know, I was going to get into this topic before we wrapped up, but one of the storylines coming off of that Wales game was Gio Reyna and the fact that he did not play. And the controversy erupted after the match when Gio Reyna was quoted as saying, that he was that he was healthy, he was ready to go, he he was available to play, which was uh, in conflict with what Greg Berhalter said after the match, which was basically that he had that Reina was dealing with some some muscle tightness, and and basically out of an abundance of precaution, they they held him out. And while Berhalter didn't come right out and say that that Reina was not available, basically the way the match played out. It ended up being a situation where they could keep Reina out of the match. Regarding Gio, you know, looking, looking at the game, you know, it was, an, it was the guys gave everything, and you could see a couple of people were cramping, and it made um, I think substitutes a little bit tricky in this game. You know, we had Serginho that hadn't played in a while, Weston hadn't played in a while, that we had to get off the field. Um, Eunice cramping up, and then Timmy cramping up, um, and in the phase of the game that we were at, um, you know, we went with with Jordan who um, you know who we felt could could give us something with speed and power and, and Gio was um, you know did a, a last minute check yesterday to make sure he was okay and I think he's going to be okay I could I can envision him playing some role against English um, but today we thought just given the nature of the game it was too soon yeah I mean it was it was trying to get him um, up to speed I think there was a little bit of tightness that we we're guarding against and um, in the scrimmage against El Garafa, in the, in the training <laughs> exercise against El Garafa, you could, you could see there was a little bit of tightness, so it was a precaution. And we, um, you know, we've been building him up, and again, we think he can play a big role in this tournament. The question is when, and um, you know, hopefully on Friday he'll be uh, one, step, one further step ahead. Now, you can understand completely. Like, anyone, I think anyone rationally thinking about it, and fully understanding what Reina went through the past year and a half. I don't see how anyone could could blame Berhalter for for being cautious in this situation. Because the World Cup is not about one game as much as yes, the Wales game is very important. But if you run the risk of putting Reina out there at less than 100% and then you lose him for the rest of the tournament, I mean that's that's brutal. Especially when I think it's fair to say Tim Weah was going to start this game. And for those of you who you know, read SBI and, and listen to the previous episodes and watched our coverage, I mean, I pretty much had that laid out that Tim Weah very likely was going to be the guy to start on the right wing. And I thought Reyna would come off the bench. But obviously, with this muscle tightness issue that he picked up or that he dealt with coming off of that scrimmage slash friendly slash training exercise with the local team here, Al Garafa. I mean, why, how is anyone honestly questioning the thought process there? And what I found a little crazy is that, and it, and before I, I'll get to it in a little bit, but I definitely want everyone to hear Giorina's post-game comments because that's what really kind of sparked this entire kind of side tangent conspiracy theory debate is because Giorena, after the match, said that he was available in 100%. I'm ready to go. 
a little bit of tennis over the last few days, but okay. I played seven English weeks or six English weeks in a row with Dortmund before, so yeah. I definitely felt 100% going. Well. No, I feel great. I feel really good. Now, the good thing about that soundbite, that, that, that audio clip that you just heard, is the very important caveat in there is Giorena stating that, yes, he had some muscle tightness. And uh, credit to Henry Bushnell from Yahoo, who, who uh, was there for that part of the interview, and asked him about it and got him to actually say, Reina, he got, he got Reina to actually say that, yes, he was dealing with some muscle tightness. And I'm sorry, but that's all you need to hear. If you hear Giorena say that, and you're still sitting here hand-wringing over why he didn't play, you've lost the plot. I'm sorry. I know some people are, are going to say, oh, wait, the first game was so important. You have to throw everything at this game like that. No, sorry, guys. No, the World Cup is three matches, three, three important group stage, ma- group stage matches. And as, as much as, yes, the Wales match was important, it was not worth the risk to put him out there. Now, if the game was in a different state, if, if the U.S. is losing to Wales and you're in that situation where you could get no points, and then you you might not have rain. You know, the, the, at that point, yes. Then you could say, you know what, you have to take that risk because you cannot afford to lose the opener. And I believe in that scenario, we would have seen Giorena. If Gareth Bale scores early, first half, puts the U.S. on the heels, they go into that second half trailing, I 100% believe Giorena would have been on the field. But if you're Greg Berhalter and your team has the first half that they had, dominant first half that they had, and you're leading into the second half and you're feeling pretty good even though the team was starting to fade, in that scenario, you can totally understand why. He sees that and says, you know what? I can keep Reina out and have him ready for England and have him hopefully knock on wood ready for a round. So, like, for me, I just, I thought it was pretty wild uh, just seeing the conspiracy theories fly around. And and that's just how it is these days when it comes to, and and the main issue was um, there was an ESPN report um, that also quoted um, Giorena, but it did not have Reina talking about the muscle tightness. All it had was Giorena saying that he was 100%, that he was available to play, that he was 100%, and that he wanted to play, Right. Uh, and, and that's Jeff, uh, you know, my guy Jeffrey Carlisle. And look, it's not Jeffrey Carlisle's fault that Reina didn't bring up the muscle tightness to him. That that was a different interview than the interview that actually yielded the very important part about about the muscle tightness and Reina admitting he had a muscle tightness issue. And and unfortunately, a lot of people saw the quotes the quotes without that. And immediately, immediately that then turned into, wait a minute, something's wrong here. Berhalter saying there's an issue. Reina saying, I'm 100%, I'm fine, I'm good to go. So which one is it? Someone's lying, right? But that's not really what it was. It re- like, here's what it comes down to. Gio Reina wants to play in the World Cup. Who doesn't? You can't keep him off the field. He wants to go. He's ready to go. But sometimes, you know, it's the job of a coach, it's the job of a medical staff to manage a player's situation. And sometimes you have to protect a player from themselves. 
Because as much as Giorina endured so much and went through so many, the, the injury ordeal that he went through that cost him a year. I mean, how many different times did we see him walk off the field in tears? Even with all that, Reina is not changing his game. He is still fearless. He's still ready to go. He's still ready to get out there and give it all. And even more so on a World Cup stage. So you can understand Reina after the match or be just, you know, being amped up at the fact he didn't get to play. But here's the thing, folks. It makes too much sense why you would be cautious. And if, and I got to say, if anyone honestly sit here, if anyone honestly believes that Greg Berhalter would sit a 100% completely healthy G Arena and not put him on the field at any point in that game, then I'm just sorry. I'm sorry. You're just, it's just, you're just not being logical. He, if, if there were no issues whatsoever, we would have seen G Arena. That much is just like, it's just unbelievable to me that people would think that. I mean, I get why, because at the end of the day, some people who just absolutely do not rate Greg Berhalter as a coach will believe anything negative about the guy and about his decisions. And that's not to say there's nothing that you can criticize him for because that's no, you can definitely, you can say he, you know, he could have made the sub sooner. You can say he shouldn't have started McKinney. You can say he should have started Aronson or McKinney. Any number of things that you can point to and have valid arguments for, I get that. And that's perfectly fine. But for, for, for people to honestly believe that, that Greg Berhalter would, would, sit a 100% perfectly healthy and no issues having G Arena. It's just, 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 it's nonsensical to me. It really is. Not only because G Arena is the, the most, one of the most talented players on this roster, but because like the relationship and the history that Berhalter has with Reina and his family. I think everyone knows by now. G Arena's dad, Claudio Reina, former U.S. men's national team captain, Claudio Reina and Greg Berhalter, lifelong friends. Jersey boys, high school teammates, super, super tight. At one point, Giorena called, would call Sebastian Berhalter, Greg Berhalter's son, his best friend. These families are super tight. I would argue Greg Berhalter sees Reina as a son. So if anything is, like, aside from the coaching hat that Berhalter's wearing, in managing Reina, you also know that he is seeing him and handling him very carefully. So if you want to argue, oh, he was being too cautious, I, like, I'm sorry, I'm just going to disagree there because I, I personally have not forgotten what he went through this past year and a half. And even Dortmund hasn't forgotten because there's a reason his minutes are still being managed. As much as he's played, what, he played 10 matches in five weeks. Go look at the minutes played in those matches. He's been playing, but they've been limiting his minutes. He's only played more than 66 minutes one time. And it happened to be against Manchester City, by the way. But the point is, he is not all the way back. He's not. He's not 90 minutes twice a week, all in physically. He's not there yet. Even even now. I mean, even now in this stretch of games with Dortmund that he was able to get, get in, the, in, the recent, in the past couple of months before the World Cup, which was great to see. 
But the fact is, like everybody's being cautious with Giorena. Dortmund was being cautious with Giorena. Now Berhalter's being cautious with Giorena because of what he's gone through. And because he's such a valuable player, such a gifted player, you do not want him missing another year. I mean, come on, people. I mean, you, like it, it, it was boggling my mind seeing some of the comments and some of the, you know, on the social media platforms and people just like, oh, this is the World Cup. You got to sacrifice everything. Like, like, no, sorry, guys. No, I get that people are unhappy about the points that were dropped. I get it. As a fan, you have every right to come away from that match disappointed. And I just feel like some people are just being a little irrational when it comes to Giorena. No, he should not have sacrificed, potentially sacrificed the entire rest of his World Cup to play 20 minutes or 25 minutes on Monday. No, I'm sorry. He's too valuable. And if you want to really try to have a run in this tournament, if you want to be ambitious and consider not only getting out of the group stage, but beating a, beating a top team in a round of 16, you're going to need G-Arena. And if not for a Walker Zimmerman foul on Gareth Bale, the plan would have worked. The U.S. played well enough to win without Giorena. Giorena not being on the field isn't why Gareth Bale was fouled for a penalty. And you can say, oh, well, if Giorena was on the field, the U.S. would have scored a couple more goals. Like, okay, we're going to play that game. Me personally, I'm not sacrificed. I'm not risking... Giorena when there's that potential issue, which clearly there was. Berhalter's admitted it. Giorena admitted it. It's a thing. But guess what? Now he's had more time to rest. Now he's ready to go against England. And I tell you what, Giorena likes to step up against the big opponents. We've seen it in his young career. He gets up for these big games. And I, I'll tell you what, he, I'm, gonna say, I'm going to say it right now. He is going to score a goal against England. And uh, for those of you who follow me on Twitter, you, you might have seen uh, some tweets from me about a couple of moments of deja vu here after Monday's game, U.S.-Wales game. And the two in- instances that come to mind are, number one, and it's kind of crazy to think about, Giorena doesn't play. None of us knew coming into this match that he was dealing with a health issue or that he was dealing with muscle tightness we obviously are not made you know we're not privy to this uh, information there are no injury reports teams here at the world cup are not obligated to provide information on on injuries which you know that's a whole other thing but this this is not a new thing and the deja vu moment was if you think about it 20 years ago at the 2002 World Cup, Claudio Arena missed the opening match for the U.S. against Portugal. Nobody knew he was going to miss the match. Nobody knew he was dealing with an injury. I didn't even know. And, I, and he was doing a player diary for me for my little newspaper in New Jersey, the Herald News. I was lucky enough to get him to agree to do a, a player diary for me. I interviewed him before the game. And you know what? He didn't tell me and he didn't tell anyone. And then he doesn't play in the opener. And everyone's like, what is going on? It turned out he was, he was nursing an injury. 
and what did Reina go? What did Claudio Reina then go on to do? He went on to play and have an outstanding tournament, and he actually he helped the team get to the quarterfinals, and he was named best eleven. He was named to the the team of the tournament. That's how good a tournament that uh, Claudio Reina had. And what happens twenty years later? Gio Reina, who was actually in South Korea in the two thousand two World Cup in his mother's stomach because his mother was there. Pregnant, I remember. It's crazy. It makes me feel old. It's unbelievable. Twenty years later, here's Giarena. Also deals with a muscle issue no one knew about. Also misses the opening match. The U.S. wasn't able to win this one, but they did get a result. And hopefully, Giarena can now come out in the second game and make a you know make his make his impact, and not only against England but potentially against Iran. And then you will understand why. Being cautious might be the way to go. And uh, a sec- there was a second bit of deja vu regarding the 2002 World Cup and Monday's uh, U.S.-Wales match in that after, the- after Monday's match, Giorena comes into the locker room, I mean, comes into the mix zone and tells people, I'm- I wasn't injured or I'm, I'm 100%. I'm good to go. I, sh- I could have played. And 20 years ago, Clint Mathis did not play in the opening match. Clint Mathis, who was the Sports Illustrated cover boy for the World Cup, he, he was one of the big names for the World Cup team, one of the high-profile players for the World Cup team, the U.S. World Cup team in 2002, and he did not start, and he, didn't, and he did not play. And it's like, what? Everyone assumed he was injured. And what happens in the mix zone, in the post-game interviews, I, go to, I talk to him. And, you know, I cover, I was covering Mathis with the Metrosaurs back then. And he told me, I'm, I'm not hurt. I'm fine. I'm healthy. I could have played. Bruce Arena just didn't play me. And that was one of my first, it might have been my first World Cup scoop. Because no one else was there. It was just me and Clint Mathis. I wrote the story. It became a whole thing. How do you keep out Clint Mathis? How do you not play Clint Mathis? What is, now the difference between that instance and this game, Monday's game, the U.S. Wales, is that the U.S. won the game in 2002. So Bruce Arena didn't face much backlash because the, guess what? The U.S. played great. They beat Portugal. They won the game. So no one cared that Clint Mathis didn't play. Not really. And then what happens? Second game, he starts, he scores against South Korea. That's why he's here. Jack Edwards, the famous slash infamous call. And the difference this time around is the U.S. didn't win. So U.S. didn't win, so it automatically turns into, well, you should have played Giorena. But we'll see. We'll see, on, uh, we'll see on Friday what the U.S. does. We'll see what Berhalter does. We'll see if he's able to start Giorena. And I know some people are going to look at that England game and think, guess what? This, that, this U.S. team isn't ready. But I, you know what? I, I don't think we should just necessarily rule out the possibility of them getting a result. And uh, a bit of good news for the U.S. uh, reports on Tuesday that Harry Kane is undergoing scans on his ankle after uh, picking up a knock during the Iran match. And listen, if Harry Kane's not there, obviously, look, England's stacked, right? They're going to put talent out there. But no Harry Kane. There's going to be some squad rotation. 
Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in this match. And I really, really believe the U.S. is going to get a result. I think they're going to get a draw. I don't, I don't know about beating England. That's a tough one. That's a tall order. But I do think they can get a draw. And just to be clear, 12 years ago, back in 2010 in South Africa, nobody was giving the U.S. a chance against England. And that England team, you, you can argue, was more talented than the current U.S. team. I mean, uh, than the current England team. And that U.S. team, I would argue, was less talented than this current U.S. team. And what happened? We all remember what happened. Clint, Clint Dempsey, Robert Green, 1-1 one, one draw. Steve Sherundolo put uh, James Miller in his pocket. Uh, it, it was just a great performance from the U.S. And I can see this team doing that. Because they got the first World Cup game jitters out of the way. They've experienced it. They know what it's about. Now they go into the second game. And look, there's going to be pressure. It's, going to, it's, it's the World Cup. Every game has pressure in it, but at least the seal has been broken. They know what it's about now. And as much as there's still going to be some changes to the lineup, and there will probably be at least a couple of players who make their World Cup debuts, the, the main nucleus of this U.S. team is going to be the same group that just tied Wales. And they've gone through it already. So I do think this U.S. team could step up and get a result in that game. And if they get a result, if they get a draw in that game, they I mean, they're looking really good. Not to just assume they're going to get the three points against Iran, but Iran does not look good. And I know it's against England, so take it with a grain of salt, but I like the U.S.'s chances against Iran. So we'll see. I mean, moving on, uh, it's been an interesting World Cup, and obviously Argentina losing to Saudi Arabia was the big, big, big headline, and that was on Tuesday. And I think it should hopefully serve as a reminder to U.S. fans that nothing, nothing can be taken for granted at the World Cup. And as much as the U.S. is, is going to be the underdog against England, there's no reason the U.S. can't get a result. A win, that would be, I mean, that'd be something. But I th- can they get a draw against against England? A- absolutely. I think they can. Can they get worked 2-0, 3-0? That too, yes. England is that good. But I just think this U.S. team, I, I think they're going to come to play. And I think they're going to get a result. I think they're going to get a draw. We'll see. But it has been an interesting World Cup. Argentina losing to Saudi Arabia. Mexico tying Poland. Memo Ochoa doing Memo Ochoa things again at another World Cup. The guy just steps his game up. It's unbelievable, right? I mean, I, I want to. I'm trying to think. I would like to know if there's ever been a player who was as good at World Cups as Ochoa who did not play at necessarily that high level on the club side. I got to think. I can't imagine anyone. There's ever been anyone as good as him in World Cups who didn't spend their careers playing in the top leagues in Europe. I think that's an interesting one. But Mexican fans are loving the show right now, but I, I don't know. Their team, you can say they deserve to win or they played well enough to win. You can say they outplayed Poland, but I'm still not convinced by that Mexico team. And guess what? Now that Argentina loses to Saudi Arabia, that group is uh, it has been turned inside out, upside down. Because now Argentina needs results. Now they need wins. They can't afford to mess around. They didn't get a single point from the Saudi Arabia match. Now Argentina-Mexico in the second group match is huge. I mean, that's basically going to be like elimination match. And we've seen Argentina-Mexico in elimination matches before, and Argentina usually gets the better of Mexico. 
and is as invisible or as quiet. I don't want to say invisible because he did score a penalty. As quiet as Lionel Messi was against Saudi Arabia. I like his chances to absolutely destroy the Mexican defense, but we'll see. Ochoa's still Ochoa, and he could, you know, stand on his head and, and bail Mexico out, but it's it's not going to be easy for Mexico. I'm telling you, it's not going to be easy for Mexico, but we'll see. Stranger things have happened. I still like Argentina. They're obviously my pick to win the whole thing. As much as they laid an egg in that opening match, and credit to Saudi Arabia, they came out second half and just played great. Harvey Renard, I mean, the guy looks like Jamie Lannister, but credit to him, the guy's an outstanding coach. He's, he's had some really impressive successes in his career, and now he adds another feather to the cap. Saudi Arabia with the shocker. The the, the entire country of Saudi Arabia is celebrating a holiday. The, the king of Saudi Arabia declared a holiday just for winning a game. I mean, that's that you love to see it. You love to see it. But um, it's been a it's been an interesting tournament so far, without a doubt. And it's been a good reminder that you take nothing for granted at the World Cup. Crazy things happen at the World Cup, and we're already seeing it. So maybe we'll see U.S. England. Maybe we'll see the U.S. Uh, knock off England. Gen- uh, friendly reminder, the U.S. has never lost England at the World Cup. They're undefeated against England in the World Cup. So we'll see. Maybe they can do it again. Maybe they can surprise England yet again. Uh, before we wrap things up, a little MLS news. And I know I've been keeping MLS on the shelf. There's a lot of stuff happening in MLS. They, they, their their offseason has been busy. But this the, this news item I had to, I had to touch on, and it's Garth Lagerway has left the Seattle Sounders and has joined Atlanta United as their new president and CEO. And that is huge. That is a game-changing shift. Garth Lagerway helped build Seattle into the juggernaut that Seattle's been. You're talking MLS Cup title, CONCACAF Champions League title, the first MLS team to win the CONCACAF Champions League in its current iteration. I mean, talk about all the success that that you could ask for. Garth Lagerway was the architect of that. And now Atlanta United splashed the cash. And they bring in the best guy in the league. And now you have Garth Lagerway with his talents and his skills. And then you have Atlanta United's deep pockets. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. Because, I mean, you combine Lagerway with the resources that, that he now has. And look, Seattle, it's not like, let's be real, it's not like Seattle didn't have resources, to be clear. But Atlanta United, I mean, they the cachet that Atlanta United already has on the international scene. I mean, I am very interested to see the kind of team that they can build there, that Garth Lagerwey can build there. And I'm also interested to see how Seattle moves on losing Lagerwey. It's a big loss. It's a very big loss. But, of course, Seattle, I mean, their ownership, they have the resources. They still have Brian Schmetzer. Um, who's outstanding coach? So they, they're going to be okay. They're not. They're not falling off the map. But it is not going to be easy to replace Garth Lagerwey. So very curious to see who steps into those big shoes in Seattle. And I think that's it. That wraps it up for this episode. Uh, I think you know we were, we were pretty much only going to talk about U.S. U.S. Wales and potential and a little bit of U.S. England as well. I know that's all anyone wants to hear. Uh, side, random side note: Lauren Holiday. Uh, Lauren Cheney slash Cheney Holiday uh, was elected to the National Soccer U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame. That was a that was made public, I believe, on Wednesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. I don't even know what day it is. I've lost all track of time. I'll be honest with you, but I saw that was announced. 
she's not I'm pretty sure she's not the only member of the class because I, I am a voter and I would be shocked if she's the only member. I think the reason they announced it is because it pretty much leaked because the video of her being told came out. So they pretty much had the Russian announcement out. But kudos to her. Obviously, outstanding career. Uh, she was, uh, you know, excellent player for, for both club and country in, in the women's soccer scene and U.S. women's national team. Um, so credit to her. And I'm looking forward to seeing the other people that are voted in. I'm blanking right now on who it should be, but there are some can't miss candidates that will be joining holiday. And I'm sure we'll be hearing about that in the coming days. But I think that's it. That wraps it up for this episode of the SBI show. I will be back tomorrow. What day is it? It is Tuesday. It's Wednesday. It's Tuesday. It's Wednesday. (laughs) I'll be back with a Thanksgiving episode previewing U.S. England. We'll talk lineups. We'll talk potential lineups, lineup changes, matchups to watch. We'll really dig into U.S. England because that's going to be a good one. I I think it's going to be a good one. I think the U.S. is going to be up for it. Um, And, you know, Christian Pulisic, you know, Brendan Aronson, Tyler Adams, Tim Ream, all the Premier League-based guys are going to be up. Everyone's going to be up for it, but those guys... They know those players. They've played with those, they played those, they face those players week in and week out. So there's I don't think you just you're not going to see the fear of facing a team like England because they know them. And then you throw in Anthony Robinson, who on top of facing them and know and and, and playing them regularly, he's born and raised in England, and now he's going to face England in the World Cup. That's amazing. Um, potentially Cameron Carter Vickers if he gets the start. Um, Yunus Musa, who came up in the Arsenal Academy and lived in England and could have pl- and played for the England U17s, facing England. So many storylines, so many subplots. U.S. England is going to be amazing. And I think pretty quickly everyone's going to like move on from the draw and the disappointment against Wales and understand that that is going to be a game. We've all When the schedule was made, we all were wait- ready for that game. And I think it's going to be a great one. So we'll have we'll get the full preview of that in the next episode, as well as obviously all the coverage that that I'll have on SBI Soccer. Make sure you're reading SBISoccer.com. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe. Pick a level that you you feel comfortable uh, uh, signing up for. Obviously, the captain level gets you everything. I'm definitely trying to have more and more, whether it's video content, whether it's articles, um, we're trying to bring you as much as I, I can here from Qatar. So definitely uh, subscribe if you haven't yet. Uh, and definitely stay tuned for the next episode, which will drop on Thanksgiving Day. But that's all for now from here in Qatar. And uh, thank you definitely for listening as always. And this one, this episode is obviously a bit longer. Maybe we'll start to get these episodes a bit longer. No promises. But I am definitely going to try to keep the episodes coming throughout the World Cup. So keep listening. Keep reading SBI. Please subscribe if you haven't yet. And thank you for the support because it means a lot. It's definitely uh, motivating me to keep bringing you everything that I can from here in Qatar. So thank you for listening. I'm Ivis Galarza. This is the SBI Show.